Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. And if you'd like to follow along, you'll find it on page 10 in the New Testament in your pew Bibles. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs on your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is the word of the Lord. Beauty is that which arrests our souls in the present moment. Standing in front of a fine piece of art or a sublime piece of natural beauty in through Vista, tends to stop us in our tracks, reminding us of our aliveness to the here and now of life. Fear does the opposite. It takes us out of ourselves in either direction, either to the past or to the future. When it takes us toward the past, it reminds us of something that once haunted us or haunts us still. Perhaps that something is something you did that you want to remain hidden from the eyes of others. Or perhaps it's the reminder of the hands of your physical abuser. When fear takes us out of ourselves toward the future, it tends to do so uh, with anxiety over the negative thought of a negative outcome like sickness and death. You see, fear disables the soul's ability to rest and to be still and know that I am God. Fear robs us of life-giving joy. I never do well when people put too much pressure on me. I always do far better when what I'm doing is joy-filled. When I was a kid, I played baseball like a lot of you, and when I reached the Mustang League, which was the first league that kids pitched to each other, I found myself in one particular ball game in a tough spot. It was the bottom of the seventh, which was the final inning of that league, so it was the end of the game. I was up to bat. There were two outs. We had a runner on third and the go-ahead runner on second. And everyone from the bench to the dugout and the field were calling out pressure calls to me, saying things like, don't mess up, Long Bonds. Get a hit, Long Bonds. You can win the game, Long Bonds. So filled with anxiety and fear, thinking only about the image of messing up. So when the first pitch came and it was really a ball, I swing at it, strike one. The second pitch came, which was also a ball, and foolishly out of fear, swinging it too, strike two. I could hear the comments mounting from the dugout, more pressure being put on me, more fear growing in my heart. What happens if I strike out and lose us the game? The pitch came, and out of a fear, I just decided I couldn't hit the ball, so I squared to bunt. 
And I heard the people say, you don't bunt with two strikes, you don't bunt with two strikes. And so I pulled the ball back, back, pulled the bat back, and the ball went right down center. Strike three, batter's out. Oh, I let fear take me out of the moment. I, I know for certain that if I just allowed myself to be filled with the joy of the game, like so many other times, I would have hit the ball, I'd have hit it far, I would have succeeded, but I couldn't because fear took me out of the beauty of the moment. Does it surprise you to learn this morning that Jesus' most repeated command throughout the Gospels is this, do not be afraid? That is, which, that, that is what he tells his disciples more than almost any other thing. And there's plenty to be afraid of, especially if you're a Gospel of Jesus. You see, Jesus keeps saying things to the people like this, the powers of the world are coming after you always. He lets them know that no matter how much good they do in the world, injustice and the brokenness of the world will still continue on no matter what. And we're all reminded that we all have one shared fate. We all will die. There is much to be afraid of in a world that has been wrecked by injustice. But this morning's text, we find Jesus offering a curious, what I call, command sandwich, it follows a certain logic. He says first, do not be afraid, and then be afraid, and then do not be afraid. What does he mean by that little switcheroo, by that little sandwich of commands? Let's take it one by one. The first command is do not be afraid, and you can find it in verses 26 through 27. I'd like to reread it to you if you wouldn't mind. So have no fear of them, Jesus says, for nothing is covered that will not be uncovered, and nothing is secret that will not become known. Whatever I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. He tells them not to be afraid for what I consider to be a rather strange reason. He says, basically, whatever has been done and covered up will be uncovered at some future point. Strange to me, for like you, I live in the password-protected age of hacking. I live in the era of the WikiLeaks, and so I know that for a lot of us, we're terrified by the truth that there could be something that we've done in the past that might find its way to the light, because we've all done something, we've all said something. Jesus is saying, don't worry because anything that's been done that's wrong in the world will eventually come to the light of day. I had a radio driveway moment once. I don't know if you ever had one of those. You're driving home and there's something so good on the radio, you sit in your driveway for a while just listening to the end. It was a woman who told her story. You see, when she was 18 years old, she started dating an unsavory character. She didn't realize that he had a checkered past, but she started dating him anyway. She went with him and his friends to the store, and while they were in the store, the friends decided that they were going to steal something, even though she didn't know what was going on. Someone notified the cops, you see, and they came on the scene. Because she didn't know that her cohorts had stolen things from the store, she didn't run, but her boyfriend and the friends, they took off, leaving her behind. Cops busted her. She proclaimed her innocence. She said she didn't know, but they didn't believe her. Now, she had to go to court, 
And the judge of the court was known to be a strict judge, a very stern man who gave some pretty hefty sentences, you know, to deter deter people from doing wrong. He didn't believe her either. He did not believe one word of her innocence. And so she got sentenced to several years in jail. Well, to add insult to injury, her mom and her dad believed the court. They did not believe their daughter. No one did except for grandpa. Grandpa showed up every day he could to visit her. And after a while, he got so upset at the injustice of his granddaughter being thrown behind bars that he couldn't take it anymore. And he said to her, honey, I love you. If you ever want, between this time and this time, every day of the week, just across the fence, down the field and through the woods, I will park my car and I will wait for you if you ever want to get out of here. Here's grandpa inviting granddaughter to escape from prison. You got to love certain grandpas, you know? Well, one day she couldn't take it anymore. She looked around and saw an opening and She jumped the fence and ran down the field, not knowing if anybody was watching or following behind her. She ran as fast as she could. She got through the woods. She tripped a bit, but she got back up, and she darted out the other side, and there was Grandpa, as he promised, sitting there in his car waiting for her. They were on the East Coast. She got in the car. The Grandpa went left all the way to California, where she assumed a new identity, graduated with a degree, met a nice man, had some good children, was the president of the PTA, and lived an entire life in peace as a good citizen, always worried. Will I ever be found out? Will this ever catch up to me? Her kids grew up, and about the time the last one graduated high school, she decided she was going to go outside in the yard on the nice day and work on the flower bed. As she went outside that day, there was an FBI agent waiting for her. They finally found her. She had finally been caught. Now, I will tell you, just so you can know the rest of the story, she was sent back east. The county was embarrassed, so they made her serve a couple more uh, months of sentencing where she couldn't have uh, access to her family. You know, they were embarrassed. They had to be tough. But as she got out now, she was able to tell this story about how something bad had happened in her life, and she always was worried about it coming to light. Yet, this is what Jesus is saying. Don't worry because things will come to light. Now, practical advice for those of you who are like me and have done things that we don't want people to know about. I I can tell you this. Remember the adage, an honest person has nothing to fear. Now that you have that, we can move on to the meat of Jesus' command sandwich. Look at verse 28, because this is where Jesus turns his command upside down. He goes from don't be afraid to be afraid, but I can add the, the caveat, be afraid properly. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, a soul, it's a fancy word, used differently all throughout the scriptures. Really, think of it as the life of the body. Think of it as you, your identity. And when you hear hell here, note that it's a translation of the word Gehenna, which is literally a place outside of Jerusalem, a garbage dump where sulfur smell seeps out of the earth and garbage is burned with fire. It's not a nice place. Jesus is saying something important. 
What is worth fearing? Well, if you listen to him long enough, it's not worth the disciples, it's not worth their fear to fear the powers of the world like Herod or the Roman Empire. I think if he were speaking to us today, he would say the same. It's not worth it, Christians, for you to fear the areas of injustice that you think are mounting in on you. I know I have a mixed group here today. Some of you think a lot of injustice comes from Donald Trump. Others think it comes from Hillary Clinton. I know a lot of us have a lot of opinions about injustice and justice over the battle for the 6th district. But Jesus would say, quit worrying about all those things and worry about something that really can harm you. Don't worry about that which can press in on your body, but worry about that which can break your life apart and throw you on top of a sulfur-filled garbage dump. Now, many assume that Jesus is referring to God, assuming that God is the only one who can wreck our souls. I suggest to you this morning that Jesus is not referring to God He's rather referring to anything that would fall under the banner of antichristness, against Christness. Jesus is speaking about all the unjust, wayward, and worldly powers that try to bait you into doing wrongful things that will lead you away from God's good life. They try to bait you through your anger to take up arms against other people. They try to bait you through injustice so that you will enact revenge. They try to bait you with saying they're wrong and we are right. So they try to bait you into finding new political allegiances that lead to slander, espionage, neo-tribalism, and vilifying other peoples. They try to bait you into playing their game. And all the while, it's a power play that you end up losing your soul over find it left on a heap of garbage. I'm inspired by Megan Phelps Roper. Not sure if you know who that is, but she is a famous granddaughter of a senior minister. The senior minister is the man who leads the the church called Westboro Baptist Church. I followed them in the news for a lot of years. Westboro Baptist Church is a church that took its morality very seriously and began to protest the funerals of homosexual soldiers to protest any what perceived liberal cause in Hollywood. They would show up with little kids to grandmas and grandpas. The whole church would show up with with these signs, with things written on them that I cannot say from this space to you, for I feel they're inappropriate. A lot of epithets, a lot of expressions of who God hates, a lot of expressions of who's going to hell. And Megan Phelps Roper was a little child who grew up in this who year after year after year followed mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa and telling adults and other people that God hated them. She confesses today, we hurt a lot of people. You should hear her talk on TED Talks or watch any news story about her. Heartbroken, feeling as though her soul was destroyed itself for exchanging love and gospel for a morality that would malign and hurt other people. There are things that can wreck your soul of those you should be afraid of. He ends his commandment sandwich with do not be afraid once more. Look with me again at verses 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Translation, sparrows are cheap and they're everywhere. They're insignificant. Yet, yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from their father. Yet God takes notice over the small and insignificant and cheap things of the world. If you don't believe me, think of your male pattern boldness. Even the hairs of your head are counted. That would take a lot longer for Wortman's hair than it would Jim Bell's hair. <laughs> so do not be afraid. You have more value than the sparrows. Why? Why, Jesus? Why shouldn't we be afraid? If all of our deeds of injustice will be exposed with everyone else's, and if the world hems us in from all sides trying to hurt us, trick us, and bait us into a life that is little more than a garbage dump, what reasons do Christians have today for not fearing any longer? It's quite simple. It's because God has intimate knowledge of you, and it's because God loves you. God, God's love for creation is so complete and thorough. It cares about sparrows, and it cares about hairs on your head. God is incredibly interested if you have faced injustice like systemic racism. God is caring about your abuse. You might even suggest this morning that when you are under the hands of your abuser, Christ suffers on the cross with you. God hears it when your coworkers malign you and hang all their failings upon your head. But God, God is with you and knows about your toothache. God understands your depression. And God listens to even your superficial prayers that go like this. God, help me find my keys. I'm late. God hears those too. So, friends, we have reason not to fear today, not only because God promises to rectify all the world's injustices, but also because God loves every aspect of you and every aspect of me, too. God loves like a good parent loves. The other night we were sleeping, and I could sense that Colleen was awake because she was trying to shuffle around the room. Eventually, she ran into my fan and knocked it over, and that really woke me up. See, she's a better mom than me. She heard her baby crying. I said, what's wrong? She said, Ruby's upset. She's scared. So I get myself together. It's groggy and turn on a lamp. Walk into the room, and, and I can see through the, the window moonlight that, that Colleen had grabbed one of those little blankets, you know, one that's not really large enough to cover you up. Why, does, why do people make blankets not big enough to cover you up? I don't know. But she climbed on to the foot of Ruby's bed, and she scrunched up like a little ball and put that blanket over her to stay warm. And I said, baby, you don't need to, you don't need to stay here. Come on back to bed. She goes, no, 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 R Ruby's scared. I'm just going to be with her. This is the same woman who would move heaven and earth to get her kid to the emergency room when her kid almost clipped off the ends of her fingers. Something major happened, and here she is with something minor, like a little nighttime fright, caring about it, entering into it, loving to the end. Let's do a little soul care today, church. Let's throw off fear. Let's try it together. For it can only take you away from your life. You can't live in it well. And let's replace it by putting on the beauty of God's restorative love and justice. Let that wash over you 
and let it arrest you in the present moment so you can be still and know that God is God. You're going to need this as a spiritual discipline because the world is simply crazy. And as stresses and craziness press you in on all sides, you're going to need to be already disciplined through this movement so that you can have the strength to resist the angst, the bait of angst and vengeance and hatred. Each one of those and more will tear your soul apart and leave its bloody carcass on a garbage heap. They will not let you live well. I have a friend who is at my last church, Gary. He's now the youth minister. Gary was my ambassador of peace because, you see, as you all know, I struggle with anxiety some. A lot, right? Well, having Gary around was like a salve. I'd say things like, man, I'm just worried about this or I'm worried about that, and Gary would throw up his arms and say, it's all right, God's got it under control. Now, I know that sounds really trite, and when most people do that, all I really want to do is walk away from them. But there was something really genuine about Gary. He could just loosen me up. I just loved having him around for that reason. So one day I was real nervous when he faced a trial. He was driving home from church with his kids in the car, and he began to have a fluttery heart, and his vision went kind of wonky. He went to the doctor and found out that one of the valves in his heart was, was, uh, was problematic, and he needed to have it replaced by one of those titanium jobs. To this day, you can hear Gary walking around the corner because he's ticking so loud. Well, after that procedure, or after the appointment, before the procedure, we and the senior minister went to his house to pray with him and the family. And when we came in the house, we all noticed that Gary was sitting in the middle of the room with his kids just playing all over him. His wife, Sandy, just looked nervous and scared. I looked at the senior minister who knew Gary for 30 years. He, he just looked nervous and scared. I felt nervous. I felt scared for my friend. And Gary didn't. Beautiful. He was present with his family. And we tried to make him nervous, you know? We were bad pastors. We tried to give him reason to be concerned. He didn't seem to be taking seriously enough for us. And Gary said, it's going to be great. Surgery's going to be great, Gary? Well, yeah, it's going to be great. Either I come out of anesthesia, I'm fixed, and I'm in the embrace and loving arms of my family. Or... I come out of my anesthesia, I'm not fixed, and I'm in the embrace of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all going to work out for me. <sighs> Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear will make you lose your soul. Christ says, "Don't be afraid." For Christ will put things right, friends, and beyond that, He loves even the smallest problem and the smallest joy that you have. Is that not beautiful? Let that arrest you today and be present to God. God bless you.